I hope you are a note taker because you're going to want to take notes. Um, I, I believe in this series. And so if you have a phone you want to take notes on, an iPad, a piece of paper. If you don't have paper, there's pens and, and envelopes in front of you. You can write down on there. I, I felt praying into 2023, I felt like we need to put the roots down. Whenever you go into a new year, you know, you have New Year's resolutions. Anybody set New Year's resolutions? How many are done with those already? Any of us who are probably older than, than, than 25, I would say we gave up on New Year's resolutions a long time ago because we know there's no point, right? We all know that. There's like, done. Like, but every single one of us, we have, we, regardless of whether we set New Year's resolutions or not, we all go into a new year as soon as the calendar turns over. We look at the year ahead and we look at it with expectation, with wonder, sometimes with fear, Especially after the last couple years, you know, remember January 2020, all the hope that we had, and then, then that year happened, and it's been successive years, so I don't know if maybe if you're like me, you kind of look with a little bit more reservation at the next year, going, I wonder what craziness is going to happen this year. Um, <laughs> some of that stuff goes on, but regardless of the hope, that expectation, maybe the fear, regardless, we kind of pay attention on what happens above the ground. We pay attention to the fruit. And we're looking at, and we're judging our year, even at the past year, we judge our year based on the fruit. But how many know, and we live in an agricultural society, so how many know uh, that, that the fruit is dependent on the root? That if you have an unhealthy root system, you're not going to bear much fruit. That the healthier the root system, the healthier the fruit. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so I felt, you know, praying into, into 2023, I felt like we need to get rooted. That I felt like that, that we need to have, come on, we're in Lethbridge, and it's windy sometimes. Come on, come on, Lethbridge people say it's windy sometimes. Anybody that visits here goes, it's windy all the time, right? We're like, that's not windy. What are you talking about? <laughs> we define windy differently. But come on, but it's windy. But also, did you know that, that the trees that are around here have a different root system than the trees that you go just a little bit north of here or a little bit south of here? The trees are a little bit different. The root system is a little bit different because, because the root systems here have to be stronger. They have to go down deeper. They have to anchor trees so the trees aren't leaning all to the east, right? That's the way that it, that, that it, that it works. And because of that, because of the resistance that comes on, the roots have to go down deeper. Well, I happen to think that the last three years has shown us that resistance has come. And I'm looking at, I don't know what the future may hold. I don't have a crystal ball to say all the things that happened. But I do know, regardless of whether this year is going to be glorious and no resistance or no problems whatsoever, or whether it's going to be filled with problems, it's always good to get your roots down deep. Right, and get some strength in there and to get some things, especially in our relationship with God. Because he is the hope that is an anchor that will not wear out no matter the pressure put on it. That's Hebrews 6.19. That he is the foundation that Jesus said that you build your house on, that, that when the storms come, that will, the house will remain standing. 
that we need to root in our relationship with God. So we're going to do a little bit of Bible school for for a number of weeks here. We're going to go down deep. We're going to get into theology. We're going to go down deep, and we're going to be on some of the basics and understanding of who God is because this series is based on two main scriptures, both written by Paul to different churches. One was written to the church in in, uh, Colossae, which is Colossians 2, verse 6 says this, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in your lives in him, and here's the word, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with Thankfulness. There's so much in this verse, but the thing that I want to focus on is this. He's talking to believers. Okay, so if you're not yet a believer and you're in this room, you can have a nap if you want for a while. But this is this is kind of this is for us believers. This is us being anchored in 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 who our God is. Now that we've received Christ Jesus, this is believers. So those of us who have received Christ Jesus says to continue to live your lives in him, meaning it's an option to not. You can pray a prayer once and then that he says, no, 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 don't just pray a prayer once and say that's salvation and you got fire insurance and you're all good. No, no, he says, continue to live your life in Christ Jesus. And then he instructs us to get the roots down deep, to pay attention to the roots, rooted and built up, rooted and built up. So this series is, is about getting our roots and focusing our roots in God in particular. Why is this important? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse. In verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now this verse jumped off the page at me. Because of the last couple of years, in, in particular. This was important when Paul wrote it. But the last couple of years, anybody, you know, whenever you kind of reluctantly turn on the news or reluctantly scroll through Facebook or somewhere of this because, because you're going, what craziness happened today? And it little, like, our world has gone mad. Like, it, like it, it, it's crazy. And here's the thing. So there's a lot of hollow and deceptive philosophies floating around. Yes? Okay, we can all agree on that. This is true when Paul wrote it. This is more true now. Okay, there's a lot of hollow and deceptive philosophy floating around. And the question is, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're not just talking about the world. I'm talking about there's a lot of hollow and deceptive philosophy floating around Christianity. And the church... And you're seeing pastors get crazy, like crazy. And I'm watching this and going, do you believe, are you reading the same Bible as me? What, what, what's happening? Right? And, and, am I wrong? Are you wrong? Because like, there's a lot of craziness going on and a lot of crazy faith going on and going, okay, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, okay, which is what? It depends on human tradition. So that means that there's a lot of deceptive philosophy going around based on Popular societal philosophy, popular societal thinking that our society, and, and we don't know, it's, it's harder now, isn't it? It's harder now to discern between what is human tradition, what is society tradition, and what is truth. And there's blurred lines in all these different areas. What is truth, and what is, what is human philosophy, and what is society, and, and because there's a lot of popular opinion that kind of cl- clashes 
with each other and different things. And so this deceptive philosophy is based on human tradition and then elemental spiritual forces. I love how Paul says this. Because, come on, there's, there's a certain group of, of Christians, us being some of them, that like to find demons behind everything and going, the devil's going, like this is the devil's, the devil's at work and the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and demons here and demons there and all the rest of it. I like how he says elemental. No one else likes that? I like that. I like that because, come on, elemental means it's basic, it's small, but it has an effect, but it's not, it's not superpower. We got that? Okay, but there's deceptive philosophy. So in order for us, and it says this in, in 1 Timothy, it says that in the last days, many will be deceived. Many of the elect, many of the church will be deceived. We, we know that. There's gonna be deception. And all of us are subject to being deceived, all of us. Not one of us is like, I could never be tricked. I could never be deceived. If you think that you could never be deceived, you're already deceived. We have, every one of us can be swayed by public philosophy. Every one of us can be swayed by elemental spiritual forces. All of us are subject to this. So how do we make sure that we aren't deceived? Well, Paul said it. Paul said, you gotta know that your faith is in Jesus. You gotta continue to live in that and you gotta root. You gotta put the root down Deep. So I want to, in this series, we're going we're gonna to kind of go down to the basics and to the roots. And we're going to start with this message is called, Who is God? And we're going to start with just the basics of, who is God? Okay? And, and many of you who have been saved for a long period, long period of time are going, I know who my God is. Okay, we're going to go through the basics. And it, but, I, but some of us have, have never really been taught who our God is, and some of us have ideas of who our God is, and no matter who you are or where you come from, we each have uh, an idea about God. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, we all have ideas about God. And we have ideas like, you know, God is, is, um, is, is somewhere up there, you know, created and then doesn't care. Or God is, God is someone who's a judge up there waiting for us to mess up so that he can strike us down. Or God is, you know, uh, someone who, he, you know, we don't know if he's a he or a she or an it. We don't know. God is, we all have ideas about this higher being, uh, this, this God, and we have all these preconceived ideas. And we're often inoculated with these images of God early in, in our lives. This is, this is true from our parents, from our culture, from our church upbringing. The problem is, is that none of our images or words can adequately, adequately capture him. It's just not possible. Steve Moen said this, and I love this quote. He says, God does not come to us in nicely defined, rationally explained thought categories. God does not fit himself into our theological textbooks. God breaks all the rules. So true. And this quote makes a point that I'm not going to be able to. Uh, the sermon is called Who is God? That I, in, this, in this few minutes that I have, we're not going to be adequately be able to describe who he is you know, we could write all the theological textbooks and read all of them that have been written over the last 2,000 years and still not capture all 
he is. Skip Moan goes on and he says this. He says, he is near yet transcendent. He is clothed in human form yet holy. More terrifying than can be imagined yet compassionate. Invisible yet revealed. Judging yet merciful. Sovereign and humble. No matter where you look, God breaks the molds. He is holy, he is awesome, he is vast, he is eternal. His his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways higher than our ways. Our limited minds and finite lives simply cannot fathom the depth and the breadth of God. It's like trying to explain nuclear fission to an ant. Right? Like... Like, we're, we're just, we're the ant, by the way. Like, God is so vast, so big. Gerard Tostegan said this. He says, a comprehended God is no God at all. Okay, so I want us, I want us to start there because, because, listen, each of us have a preconceived idea who our God is, and we all, let's just put this individual, we all have little boxes we like to fit our God in. You can't fit God in a box. Not possible. So we're going to start there. And it's only as, listen to me carefully, it's only as God reveals himself to us that we begin to get an accurate picture of who he really is. And that revelation of how God chooses to reveal himself to us comes in three primary ways. He he reveals himself to us through creation, through Jesus, and through the scriptures. In creation, have you ever gone for a walk in, in the mountains or, or by a river and, and trees or, or on a beach and you, or you watch a sunset and you just felt closer to God. You just had this, like, you get into nature and you're like, wow. Like, you ever been in a place on the planet where you're just like in awe and you felt closer to God? <laughs> the psalmist said that creation cries out and tells us that there, you know, there is a God. That's why people feel that. Like, God reveals himself to us through creation. And we're part of that revelation, by the way. We're part of his creation. God also reveals himself through Jesus. And we'll look at that a little bit later in the, in the series. But God reveals himself through scripture. And that's where we kind of want to dive in a little bit today, is, is dive into how he reveals himself to us through scripture. Okay, And, and we can see this, because there's so much. And we're going to go through scriptures quickly. And I encourage you to take notes and write down the references in particular. And go and do this study yourself, because it's interesting how God reveals himself to us through scripture and, and through and kind of progressive from the beginning to the end of the book. It's kind of progressive how he does it. So let's start at the very beginning. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God. First four words in the Bible reveal a little bit about who our God is. In the beginning, God. What what do these four words reveal about our God? These four words reveal about our God, number one, he is uncreated. In the beginning, before God. God. Like in the beginning, God was already there. In the beginning, God. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. Look at this. Before Before, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. In other words, you are eternal from everlasting to everlasting before God. Paul said this in Colossians. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, this is, this is, this is vital for us to understand. It's, it's obviously important that we understand that our God is uncreated because even Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, he, he made it a point of saying our God was there before all things. This is important. Genesis, back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, the next word, created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. So God is uncreated, but God is also the creator. Okay, this is, this is vital. The Hebrew word, or, or you know, God reveals himself through the Hebrew and the, and the Greek, and there's a number of names that, that are attributed to God. Names that like we can't we in the in our English Bibles we see God or Lord, um, and and that's the extent of our English understanding of God. We can capture that's why many of us in the Western world don't fully grasp who our God is and why I'm teaching this is because. But in the Hebrew, in particular, there's multiple names of God, and each name reveals a little bit about who He is. So God the creator in Hebrew, the name for God the creator is Elohim, okay? And Elohim, God the creator, is th that name is used 35 times in Genesis 1, 1 to Genesis 2, verse 4. So in one chapter, plus four verses, the name Elohim or God the creator is used 35 times. In other words, Moses, when writing this, or the author of Genesis, when writing, writing uh, you know, th this creation story, made sure that 35 times emphasizing, 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 God is the creator. Okay, And there's other scriptures that, that point back to, many, many scriptures that point back to God being the creator. In this, this is Nehemiah 9, verse 6. It says, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all of the starry, their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in, in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heavens worship you. So Elohim, God the creator, is possessor and ruler of the heavens and the earth. He, he brings Light out of darkness, cosmos out of chaos, habitation out of desolation, and life is in his image. This is our God. This is important. This is important to the early church in, in the book of Acts. Verse 17, or chapter 17, the book of Acts is a historical account of the first century church. Okay, the birth of the church right after Jesus resurrected and, and, and Peter and John and, and Paul and all the, the early church leaders formed the church and they began to teach. And in that teaching, Acts 17, it was important to the early church that, that they understood that God is Elohim, God is the creator. And here's what they said in Acts 17, verse 24. They said this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord, okay, ruler, of heaven and on earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. There's so much in that verse. By the way, there's so much in that verse. They're trying to make a point that God's presence does not dwell in a building more than anywhere else. Come on, we need to understand that. Does not live in temples is a way of saying that because God created all things, he is omnipresent. Okay, omnipresent means he is everywhere. 
That means, by the way, that you don't have to wait to connect with God to come to a building. That means that you don't have to, that means you don't have to wait to pray for God to, to minister to you and wait for a pastor in a building at the front of the building to get, a, to get an answer or breakthrough. Our God does not confine to a space. He is omnipresent. And the fact that he is creator, that he is everywhere, that he created all of these things points to the fact and, and alludes to the fact that God is omnipresent and alludes to so much more. He is everywhere. As Paul, Paul said it in Ephesians 4, verse 6, he says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He is over all, not just the pastors, through all, not just, not just you know, church leaders, and in all, that, that's all of us because we're part of his creation. Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 16, he says, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether uh, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities or prime ministers or presidents or, come on, okay, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things Hold together. It's important for us to understand and believe. And there's lots of different theories out there as to what creation looks like and, and different ideas of evolution and creation. And, and by the way, you can believe in evolution, still believe there's a creator. The creator caused things to evolve. All right, come on. Okay, so, but the, the important thing is, the thing that is vital is not how. The important thing for us to understand is that who? Okay, because we're trying to figure out the hows. And, and we're, listen, an ant understanding nuclear physics. Like, come on, we're trying to figure out how did, it's not that, it's who. Who? And God the creator, look at this, it says all things are held together. God the creator created some rules. Rules like gravity that hold things together. Thank God. That keep us grounded. I'm thankful for gravity right now, aren't you? It would be a kind of a weird service, all of us. Come on, come on. Like, there's rules. But listen, God revealed himself not just as Elohim because when Abraham, when God came to Abraham and said, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations, Abraham went, time out. I'm old. My wife is old. We're past Elohim's rules of being able to have a baby. Right? How many women are thankful that Elohim, the God, the creator, has some rules about what age we can stop having children? Right? I'm in my 40s and my eight-year-old wears me out. I thank God there's some rules that Elohim put in place. So when God came to Abraham and said, you're going to have, at 75 years old, you're going to have a baby, Abraham went, no. He did. Then God showed up to Abraham again in, in Genesis 17, and look at this. This is what he says, and we read this in English when we miss it. Okay, when Abram was 99 years old, 25 years later, 24 years later, God shows up again and says, hey, remember? The Lord appeared to him and says, I, this time God introduced himself a little bit different. I am God Almighty. 
We read that, we read that in English and, and we go, okay, that's cool. No, no, no. He revealed a new name. He was Elohim and he showed up in Hebrew as El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty. He says, walk before me faithfully and blameless. In other words, when, when God showed up to Abraham at 99, Abraham, when God showed up to Abraham at 75, Abraham wavered in his faith. Right? He slept with a servant and Ishmael was born. Like, that's a waver. Hello. Right? When God showed up, when God showed up to Abraham at, in Genesis 17, he says, I'm God Almighty. And Abraham wavered not in his, in his faith, is what it says in Galatians. And he showed up. Why? Because, because El Shaddai, this is, this is our God. El Shaddai is the God who reserves the right to reverse the rules of Elohim. That the sun shouldn't stand still according to Elohim, but El Shaddai makes the sun stand still. That water shouldn't part, seas shouldn't part, and you can walk across on dry land. And El Shaddai says, I am God Almighty. That lion's mouth should not be shut. That whales should not swallow and spit out. That, that a man should not walk on water. That the dead should not be raised again. There's rules that Elohim created, yet, yet our God is not just confined to Elohim. He's El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He he has the right to do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's almighty. This is what Jeremiah said. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? So I don't know what rule you need bent. Maybe you got a diagnosis from a doctor that, that Elohim, that, and, and you got a diagnosis that is not, not, not uh, according to Elohim. There's, it's, you're running the path of life, and this is, there's no, that you need a miracle. Whatever, maybe you need a financial miracle. Maybe you need, I don't know what it is, but you don't just serve the rule maker. You serve the one who can do anything, anytime, anywhere that our hope is built in Jesus because he is God Almighty. John said this in 1 John 3, he says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Ooh, that's good. And he knows everything. Why is it good that we know our God is God Almighty? Because sometimes our own heart condemns us. Sometimes our own mind plays tricks on us. Sometimes we don't think it's possible. Sometimes we have doubts and sometimes we have fears. A lot of times we do. But is anything too difficult for El Shaddai? No. So not only is he omnipresent because he's a creator, he's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He is, he, he's, and not only is he all-powerful, John says he's all-powerful, he's greater than our hearts, he's also all-knowing. God reveals himself as Elohim, El Shaddai, and then in Exodus 3, God reveals himself again in a new way. He reveals himself to Moses, calls Moses to to rescue the children of Israel from the, this, the slavers in, in Egypt. And Moses has a debate. God, he's having a debate with a bush that's burning, that's not burning up. Talk about El Shaddai. Like, like I, I'm, I'm sorry, this is a miracle happening right here and you're gonna debate. God is powerful enough to cause a bush to burn and not burn up, but he's not powerful enough to use you. Pause there for a moment. Some of you have seen miracles. Some of you have seen, seen things that should not have happened, and yet you're still doubting whether God can use you. 
right? So, so what, what does God do? God doesn't storm off. Doesn't yell at him and say, I'm El Shaddai, I can do whatever. I can use you. I can make a donkey talk if you ever, if you need. Like God did, look at the Bible's chock full of miracles that shouldn't happen, happen. Right, come on. He's El Shaddai. But when that wasn't enough, God revealed himself again to Moses. And again, we miss it in English because God said to Moses, I am who I am. We read that and we're like, okay. God's flexing his muscles. Like, I am who I am. No, no, no. God revealed himself again through the Hebrew. This is the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Right now, watch, 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 watch. This is so powerful. Basically, Yahweh or Jehovah means I am. So when, when you ask, you, God, who are you? I am. And Moses is waiting for the rest of the sentence. You are. You are. And God's like, no, no, I am. And here's the power of the name Yahweh or Jehovah. While Elohim is God as creator of all things, Jehovah is the same God in covenant relation to those who he created. See, all the names of God are derived from his works except Yahweh or Jehovah. What does that mean? Elohim means God the creator. It's something that he did. It's his works he created. El Shaddai, all-powerful, is what he does. It's the miracles he does. It's what he does. But I am, but, but Yahweh, Jehovah, it's not what he does. It's who he is. So when, so when God shows up to Moses and said, who should I say sent me? Basically, God said, I am the all-sufficient one. I am whatever you lack, I am. Whatever you need, I am. And then all throughout the writings of Moses, and even into other scriptures, that every time that God showed up in a miraculous way, in a different way, they attached another uh, Hebrew name to Jehovah to fill in the, the, the blank, if you will. In Genesis 22, verse 14, God is revealed as Jehovah Jireh. And, and this in Genesis 22, this is when God provided the ram for Abraham. When he was asked to sacrifice his son, it provided a ram. And, and Abraham said, you are provision. In other words, this is, this is you got to get this. I, I hope you get this. Because it's hard to articulate the power of this. God provided that ram before he created it. He moved it into the right position at the right time that Abraham would need it. So, come on, come on. And Abraham caught all of that and called him. This is not just an El Shaddai moment. This is not just a magical ram out of the middle of nowhere moment. This is, this is, this is Jehovah. I am Jireh, I will, which means his prevision leads to my provision. In other words, God, before you even see the need, God saw it and provided a way for you to receive it. 
This is our God. Come on. Jehovah Jireh. Provision is not something he gives because if it's just something he gives with his hands, it means that he can take it just as easily as given. This is where our theologies get whack. Well, God took or God withheld or God took them from me or God took this from me. Listen, that is not in the DNA of our God because provision is not something he does with his hands. Provision is who he is. So when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, whatever you ask for, I will, he's, he's saying, come to me, come to me, I am provision. Whatever you ask for, I will give. Come on. God revealed himself as the healer in Exodus 15, verse 26, when the Israelites got sick and, and diseased and he, he did the miracle and all the rest of it. But listen, this is, not, this is, again, not something that he does or that he takes or that he gives or withholds. This is, not, this is who he is. He is Rophe, the God that heals. He is health. Rophe means to restore, to heal, to cure, or a physician, not only in the physical sense, but in the moral or spiritual sense also. So this is why we get Come on. This is why we need to abide in him. This is why we need to get deeper. This is why we need to get our roots down deeper because, because we often rely on God, the healer, in the moment we need healing. But the, pro, the, the issue is, is that if we don't have a relationship and we haven't abided in, him, about, you know, abided in him, then what happens is that we're struggling for faith and we're struggling through our doubts and we're struggling for all this. And if the entire time we had dug our roots down deep, when the storm came, it's just like, he's the healer. Jehovah Mekadishkim, that's another Hebrew word. God that sanctifies you. Sanctifies means to make holy, to set apart, to sanctify. And we think that I have to do something to earn God's acceptance, that I have to do something or not do something or behave or not behave in such a way to earn my own holiness or my own sanctification, my own set-apartness. And in the entire time, he's saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sanctification. Jehovah Shalom means God send peace. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. That in God we find nothing missing, nothing broken. Isaiah said, this, this might help us understand this a little bit more. Isaiah said that Jesus is the prince of peace. That was one of the things. But the prince of the, the prince or the, the essence of shalom on, on nothing missing, nothing broken. Look at this. Jesus was. Jesus restored what was broken. Jesus filled what was missing. Not just in a few and healing a few, but he, he restored for all of us, for all of my kind. He restored what was missing in the world. He fixed what was, he, he filled what was missing. He fixed what was broken. Our God is amazing. And you know what's even more amazing? Come on, I'm just, I'm just scratching the surface of some of the revelations in, in the scripture and, and due to time we can't go any deeper I'm hoping my, my aim is not to fill you all up and give you all this. I'm hoping that to create a hunger in you to know who your God is because we're not serving just this far off untouchable unreachable doesn't care God we're, we're serving we're serving the creator of all things who's omnipresent we're serving the almighty who is all powerful we're serving the all all knowing and in the midst of all of that in the midst of all that you know what god wants to be called father 
He's the creator. He's the almighty. He's, the, he's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. He's Jehovah. He's Yahweh. He's all of that. And yet you know what he wants to be called? Daddy. Galatians 4, verse 6. Paul says, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of his Son into our hearts. And that Spirit in us calls out, Daddy. Father, I love this. There's so much depth in this verse. You know that 477 times in the New Testament, God is called Father. Did you know a chunk of those are Jesus saying, my Father, our Father? Like he, Jesus said it over and over again. Jesus pointed, he's Daddy, he's Daddy, he's Daddy. And then sent the Holy Spirit who urges us from inside to call him Daddy. That's what Abba means, Daddy. Now listen, it's the Spirit who calls out or urges us to call God Father. Why? Why, 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 why? Because he desires to have the deepest of relationships with us. God who created with his voice spoke things into existence. God who parted seas. God who calmed storms with just a word. God who walked on water. God who rose the dead. God who did all these things. Miraculous things. All powerful things. Wants us to call him daddy. Because what God created all of this for, what God does all the miracles for, is us. He created us for relationship with him. Wow. Wow. Takeaway simply this, is that our God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite creator, and yet he invites us to call him Father. Wow. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word that reveals yourself to us. And we're in awe of your creation. We're in awe of your almighty power. We're in awe of who you are. God, we're in awe of the fact that you would care so much about us, that you would call us sons and daughters and invite us to call you daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Pray, Holy Spirit, in this year to come, this season to come, that you would make yourself more real, more known, more understood in us and by us. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're here this morning, you don't yet have relationship with God. Maybe you felt that God was unreachable, untouchable, too far off, too big to care about little you. I want you to know that's not true, that our God is, yes, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, he's amazing, encompasses all things, created all things, rules all things. You know what he desires most? His relationship with you. And all you need to do to begin that relationship is, according to Paul in Romans 10, is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. Believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead and you'll be saved. It's that easy. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. It's so powerful if you pray this prayer for the first time, right here, right now, you can begin relationship with God. And this is the promise that when you pray this prayer, you become automatically a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty. So let's pray this together. If you're praying it for the first time, pray with all your heart and your meaning. If you're watching online, pray with me wherever you're watching from. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now, to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name.